Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to episode 50 of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And I just want to thank all you guys for helping make this journey a reality. It's crazy to imagine, but we started this almost a full year ago. And just think about where we were back in those days. You know, we lost college basketball for, you know, we we lost March Madness. We lost the the conference tournaments. You know, UConn lost an opportunity to make a potentially legendary run. And, you know, we just, it was just, it's incredible to imagine just like all the bad things that have happened in the world since then. And uh, honestly, this podcast was kind of born out of almost a, depression and um you know i'm just really grateful that you guys have all stuck with this and that we've had almost a full year of just you know reflecting on uconn and everything that this program has given us and all the great memories you know we've covered a lot of great games we've, we've covered a great season and uh i just feel like for this episode it's, it would be great to kind of take things back to the beginning and uh matt mcdonough is uh joining me again matt is uh was our very first guest um he was uh my, my running mate back at the Daily Campus in 2010-2011, our junior year. And one of our, I know he would agree, you know, we shared one of the, the greatest sporting memories, you know, just of our lives. And we got to cover the 2011 Big East Tournament. And uh, if you can believe it, it's been 10 years ago this week since that week. And uh, Matt, first of all, thanks so much for coming on again. And uh, is it how crazy is it to imagine that it's been that long since the Big East Tournament? Yeah, Mac, thanks for having me, and yeah, it is uh, hitting home now, like you said, for 10 years, um, you know, uh, thinking back, it's it's uh, it's crazy, it's been a decade, and I d- would like to echo your points where I do agree that this podcast, even though it was um, born out of some, you know, trying times, it's kind of cool to come full circle here as you close your first uh, year doing this, so congratulations on that. So I'm honored to be a, a part of it. Um, the few times I've been on have been awesome. And then I know I know Tim. Uh, you know, echo. Uh, he spoke on um, your uh, big announcement for you and Christine expecting a child. So I would like to just relay congratulations again on that as well. So we have uh, UConn back in the Big East, looking good heading into the tournament. Uh, you on a personal level, um, you know, having a uh, baby on the way. And then, um, you know, we have this nice little 10-year reunion of one of the best uh, conference tournaments we were uh, able to see. So even though um, the circumstances may not be the best, uh, hopefully this is a sign of uh, blue skies ahead. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's uh, the, I appreciate Frank. That- Frankly, thanks to everybody who's reached out. It's been a real, uh, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, believe it or not, today is actually the the halfway point for us. Uh, we still, we got a couple months to go, but uh, by the start of the next school year, there will be a, a baby husky in the family, and uh, looking forward to some great memories with that too. I know a lot of the other guys on UConn Twitter have kids, and that's been a real special thing to share that with them. So. And it's nice to know that UConn has a bright future to look forward to, because frankly, for many years, that was not necessarily a guarantee. And, um, you know, it's crazy just to think like in the last 10 years, like UConn hasn't made any more Big East tournament memories since this run. You know, they had, fr- frankly, I-, I guess they only played in one more tournament after this year. They played in 2012. And, you know, after that, they were banned from their last opportunity in 2013 and I guess like the 2016 American Conference Tournament was pretty fun, you know, some real epic moments in that, and they won it. But like, 
it just wasn't the same. So, you know, super excited for this week's tournament. You know, UConn will be opening against uh, the winner of Providence and DePaul on Thursday, uh, Thursday night on Fox Sports 1 at 9 o'clock. Um, you know, we'll, 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 we're going to cover that uh, on another episode. We'll do a separate episode to preview the, uh, this this week's game. But for now, you know, Matt, let's just take it all the way back. Um, first things first, um, just kind of give your thoughts on, on this, this week and what it meant for you. Because I know that you and I, it, it holds a real special place in our hearts as it does for all UConn fans. No, it definitely does. And it's kind of, um, you know, bittersweet in a way. In March, there's selfishly almost a melancholy type of feeling some years where you know with the weather breaking um you know it's tough to look back and kind of miss the moments um well you know being a student you have the four years at UConn um so you know even it's kind of weird thinking back but obviously the the way the week um unfolded it it makes uh it makes it just a moment worth reliving. And uh, I do think that in a weird way, um, even though, you know, we're almost approaching our 10-year uh, college graduation reunion, that 2011, um, sports-wise, as you mentioned, uh, it kind of peaked for UConn. And, uh, you know, the tough years thereafter have been, been unfortunate, but to be in the position we were in to see the players and teams that we did, um, you know, this kind of is a week that symbolizes, um, you know, all the good coming together for UConn to have the experience they had, um, you know, in a Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden one week in March that um, selfishly, unless it's by another UConn team, hopefully it's never um, recaptured. It's just really really awesome to look back and kind of um, reminisce of you know that week and and what it really still means and will mean uh, for years to come yeah you know we were just talking before we started recording and uh, you know we're just kind of commented on how unique this tournament was and where it stands in history like you know how many college you know how many conference tournaments matter as much as this one did you know it's been 10 years and people still talk about it like you know, it's probably not an exaggeration to say this is one of the most like iconic and important conference tournaments in bas- you know, college basketball history. Because think about it, how how often do you really hear about some of the like, uh, you know, the big 2016 Big Ten tournament? I, I couldn't tell you a thing about it. I, I couldn't tell you if it mattered, if it was good, or if it was bad. You know, frankly, usually it's just kind of just like a thing that happens on the way to you know the NCAA tournament. But like that's not the case here. Like you know. Kemba Walker hitting the step back against Pitt is like a legitimately iconic college basketball moment. And it happened in the quarterfinals. They won two more epic games after that, that game was played. And, you know, I think it probably plays into the what they did in March afterwards. Um, the fact that Kemba is now, what is he now, a nine, nine-year MV, NBA vet going on 10. It's, um, you know, it's crazy. And, you know, we got to, we had a, a, a front row seat, you know, literally and figuratively and, um, you know, just something to, just something really special. I have to say, I, I do just want to address one thing off the top. Um, Matt, you are the only one of us who actually saw all five games in person. Um, because this is a little kind of crazy to remember, but I didn't actually get to stick around for the semifinals and the finals because I had a prior family commitment, which, frankly, in retrospect, I, I could have kind of worked my way around it. I just, you know, 
I guess I was an idiot or whatever, but you know, I, I had to sub out for Colin for uh, the semis and the finals. And, you know, obviously those games were epic, but in a weird way, it was funny, like, you know, kind of being able to go out after the pick game. It's like, I almost, I, I didn't really miss much in there in a weird way. Cause that's really when they quote unquote won it, even though they didn't really win it for a couple of days. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to mention that off the top. So, um, I don't know. Any other thoughts before we kind of dive into the kind of the lead into this tournament? Because obviously it was a it was a pretty interesting week leading up to the tournament, even before it got started. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that is like you said, it, it's not hyperbole to mention that this is among the the best conference tournaments of all time, because in a weird way, um, as you mentioned, even though, you know, you did you didn't get to see the, those last two games it's almost become like the miracle on ice in a Yukon way where the Kemba shot is what people see so often, even people who weren't even really following the team back then, where, you know, that wasn't the championship, but it certainly kind of springboarded them to, you know, the rest, you know, of the way where, you know, the U.S. beating uh, the Soviet Union, they still had to win another game for gold and, um, the Syracuse and Louisville games, as we'll get to, were incredibly epic. I do feel lucky to have been, um, you know, covering all five of the games. And obviously, when you're in a tournament, you don't know what the height will be. It's a one-and-done format, which is what makes March Madness amazing um, and heartbreaking at the same time. And it was kind of cool to see how UConn just kept building and building game by game and um you know culminated in well not only a big east championship um but also obviously the national championship too so it was just like it's still you know it's kind of crazy thinking back to uh being able to see see it all and um let's get to it then yeah so um first things first i guess uh you know what people should probably remember is going into this game that yukon was not exactly in a good spot they had gone nine and nine in the Big East, and they had lost four or five to end the regular season. And uh, I know your your brother and I went off on this before one of the times he was on the show. But uh, that loss to Notre Dame in the regular season finale was a real bummer. You know they they blew it at the ends. You know they had a chance to tie or win at the buzzer, and play got all messed up. You know Ben Hansborough was feeling himself. He comes into the press conference, slams a Gatorade bottle on the table, and just starts you know talking about how great Notre Dame is, and you know. Collins like you know I one of I just remembered just like the the discourse afterwards was like it's 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 we're we're in a bad spot you know um our our buddies over at No Escalators uh we love we we love you guys you're the best uh coldest take of all time uh published ahead of the tournament was basically you know Yukon doesn't really Yukon is basically doomed like op- we were not a very optimistic bunch what do you recall about that week leading in uh and just like kind of where Yukon was and what the expectations were at that point I think it was almost like being content with uh, getting a tournament berth. And obviously, like you mentioned with the Hansborough thing, I still vividly remember that. And then seeing Notre Dame with, um, you know, what really was uh, Kemba's uh, senior day, you know, to lose at packed Gamble and to have, um, you know, Notre Dame running off the court into the tunnel. I remember that vividly. And, the press conference in itself was something that stuck with me. 
um, even from an, a weirdly personal standpoint. You were about ready to just tackle him right on right on the, the, well, the podium, aren't you? probably would have put me on my butt if I tried. Um, I don't think it would have been like a, a Will McDonough, I forget the Patriots player, he like tackled in the 80s in the locker room. It probably would have been the inverse of that, but it would have been, um, you know, uh, it was getting me short-circuited to see a team that, like you said, they were in ninth place, uh, nine and nine in the Big East. They had pretty much locked up a NCAA tournament berth um, going in because uh, they had won all their non-conference games and had won the Maui Invitational. Um, so their uh, non-Big East resume had them pretty much a lock. And once they beat DePaul, it was pretty much a done deal. But going into that week in New York, you really didn't know what this team was made of because the Big East was the meat grinder where you didn't, you know, the teams even, maybe not DePaul, but all the other teams uh, were, it was a bruising league. So um, it was a very much unknown kind of thing going in where I was definitely thinking like, geez, well, what happened to Kemba during this Big East schedule? Like he's not the the game sealer he he was in Hawaii um you know and the supporting cast hadn't been stepping up to get them over the hump to consistently win games in conference play so um I can't you know be a revisionist and say I was confident at all either yeah and like the structure of the tournament didn't necessarily seem like it was going to work in their favor like five games in five days in the Big East that's I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> like, like, just imagine, like, I mean, you don't have to imagine. We watched it happen. But, like, you know, winning any game in the Big East is just tough. So to, to have that road in front of them, it was really, you know, hard to imagine. And something else I, I'm only, you know, I just kind of went back and looked at some of the stories. But, like, UConn hadn't won in the Big East tournament in years at this point. Like, I think at this point, uh, UConn had gone six years. Yeah, so the last time they'd won a Big East tournament game was in 2005. So, you know, they had that kind of hanging over their head. You know, in 2006, they got upset by, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was Syracuse in that run, right? Yeah, so they lost in 06 to Syracuse in, the OT, in OT in the quarters. Um, and then in 2009, they lost in the six-overtime game to Syracuse in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And there was weird moments, so like I think 2005, the second round against um, Georgetown, because they, I think, got a bye, was their last Big East win. And then they lost in the semis, and like you said, 06, they lost to Syracuse in OT, in OT 07, they lost to Syracuse in the first round again. And then 08 was the Joe Alexander um, run with West Virginia, where even if, they didn't win the Big East, but they beat... Um, UConn, who had been uh, kind of in a renaissance that year, and then UConn loses to West Virginia and then loses to San Diego in the first round. So that was a really big crash landing. And then the 0-9-6 overtime game, and then the 2010 forgettable season. uh, And I remember going to that game the first round against St. John's, they got hammered by it was bad points. dude it was so it was bad crazy because going in there was like geez they haven't won in this arena um well uh, again i don't know if they beat like um st john's during the East play and they had all those probably preseason tournaments so they hadn't won in a big east tournament game in madison square garden 
in a very long time. Yeah. So the DePaul game was almost like setting a, setting UConn up to, hey, at least get one win in the Big East tournament and get back um, to that before worrying about anything else. It was definitely a really necessary palate cleanser, um, for sure, because you had that history hanging over you. You had the recent history hanging over you. And, you know, I think it was a just good for the team to kind of reset and just sort of get its get its feet under it. So, you know, we, you know, unfortunately, I'd hope to, to get a former player on this episode, but just over the course of, you know, just I, I do recall a lot of stories coming out after the tournament or kind of beforehand where Jim Calhoun's first practice after the Notre Dame game was apparently the stuff of legend. Like he just absolutely killed them and they responded and you know, they got ready for this tournament and they just absolutely whipped DePaul. Um, DePaul, obviously, then as in now, pretty bad. You know, they were 7-24 and 24 at the time, 1-17 in conference play. And UConn beats them 97-71. to 71. No surprise there. It shouldn't have been, you know, it, there was no drama here at all. Kemba killed them. He had 26 points. And, uh, you know, Calhoun afterwards, he says, we had a nice bounce back game. We're happy to get a win. It's been a while. So, you know what, after this win, it's like, all right, you know what, all right, we got that all out, we got that out of our system, now let's play some ball. And um, do you remember what, you know, this was uh, the only one of the tournament games we got to actually sit courtside. What do you yes. remember, do you remember just about, you know, we don't need to talk about the game itself, it wasn't much of a game, but what do you remember about just covering this game and uh, the experience of being courtside and uh, kind of getting that up close and personal view? Well, like you said, we were lucky to have the front row seat at all the games, you know, at Gamble and XL Center. Um, but it, it's just way bigger when you're at a place like Madison Square Garden um, to be that low and kind of look up with the unique ceiling and how the, the bowl seating is. It was really cool because as much as I love Gamble, you know, 10,000 seats with MSG um, – you know, whatever it is, sixteen to eighteen thousand, and how the layout of it. Obviously, it's much more expansive. So I just remember that where it was like you were you were on um, you know the Broadway stage, how the court's set up where it's lit, and then the stands are darker. After that game, we were in the darkness up high in the um, auxiliary press seating, which obviously being in the building um, is good enough but it was just really cool to kind of savor the moment the no drama game was almost perfect for that because you don't have to worry about really paying close attention to every single moment of the game you could soak in um being courtside at msg yeah um you know it's funny i was very impressed by the the layout at madison square garden i'd never been there before and I, I, it was definitely a different vibe. I, I, I understood what the fuss was all about after that, even though it was like, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was the noon tip, right? Like it was early after. Yeah. So yeah. I think all, so all three were, and that's the other tough thing, like the sneakiness of maybe slipping up in those noon tips could be detrimental to the team or like work in a team's favor. But yeah, the noon tip, you know, like still having the, um, you know, not that again, it's, I mean, I, I wake up a lot earlier now than I did in college. It was rougher for a noon tip now than it would, uh, then than it would be now. But yeah, it was, I think noon for DePaul, Georgetown and Pitt. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and so, then, um, you know, that, that was, it wasn't cause even the DePaul game, it being the first game, it's, it's more empty than, you know, the camera, uh, lets on a lot of times. 
um, too, because you have the session one people for those group of tickets not entering the arena at noon on the dot. You have the UConn and DePaul factions of fans there, but the next game, those those fans don't get there till later in the in the in that game. Right, exactly. So, um, just going through the the uh, the story of the from this game. One thing I just noticed that's kind of also interesting: Alex Oriaki did not start this game, and uh, I guess the reason why was just because he hadn't been playing very well. But uh, he played awesome here. He had 19, 19 rebounds for UConn, which is, uh, I guess, tr- tied Travis Knight's uh, record of uh, 19 boards uh, in a t- Big East tournament game. So um, yeah. actually, one more thing, just because we sort of got off the subject a little bit. But, uh, you know, UConn hadn't won a Big East tournament game in a while before this game. And it just made me realize, so they win five Big East tournament games this year. They won two to next year, so that means they ended up with seven Big East tournament wins in the 2010s, even though they only played in two tournaments, or I guess three tournaments if you count 2010. And obviously, they were banned from the tournament in 2013, and you know up until this year, they've not been in the conference. So, trivia time for uh, our listeners who maybe want to do some research. How many uh, tournament wins, uh, Big East tournament wins, have the current members of the conference had? I mean, surely Villanova has got more, but like, are there teams in the conference who have seven or fewer Big East tournament wins since like 2010? Just just a food for thought. I'd be curious to, to see uh, you know who who the, what those totals look like. Yeah, yeah, and that's a nice um, little uh, point to brag because uh, us our absence, even though um, Providence and um, seeing all have picked up Big East championships, um, you know, once Louisville left, it's just been kind of Villanova's conference tournament to to lose so um i'm particularly curious about st john's i'm very interested in seeing how many uh biggest tournament wins they've had in the last 10 years yeah yeah and that it is food for thought and then that is the the other thing too where um you know the next season it's weird because msg this was their last the last year before they started renovating it and i remember that the next year getting down i think it was it was because this was during spring break this week, which I guess should be mentioned because, you know, the only thing we had to do that week was basketball, which was awesome. But the next year with UConn spring semester schedule, um, the Big East tournament, I think Colin and I only got down for one of the three games because of midterms and school still being in session. And MSG had was already being renovated, so the lower bowl was already renovated and then the upper was still the old layout so it was a weird transition of like Madison Square Garden changing and then um you know really us leaving the conference um when we get back to the Big East tournament with fans it'll be a whole different MSG so this was kind of the last uh hurrah in MSG as um fans who had attended the games there um for decades knew it yeah, so um, shall we move on to the Georgetown game? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as we just saw, UConn just absolutely smoked Georgetown the other day. And uh, that was kind of the same vibe here. Uh, you know, in game two, UConn plays Georgetown. Um, and I didn't realize this there. Uh, UConn was ranked 21st and Georgetown was ranked 22nd. So this was considered to be a, a pretty like even matchup, I guess. But it certainly didn't play out that way. Uh, UConn beat him 79 to 62, and it wasn't that close. Um, you know, Kemba had 28 points, just kind of just dominated, really. And uh, according to the story I'm reading here, 
This was the day, the infamous day, where uh, the Big East Conference uh, awards were announced, and somebody, uh, Mick Cronin, uh, according to reports, I guess, left Kemba off the first team all Big East ballot. So our boy Ben Hansborough stepped up to the microphone and accepted the Big East Player of the Year award. Matt, I know this is something that you're very passionate about. What are your thoughts on this particular matter? Well, it's still just ridiculous. Obviously, time has shown um, that the uh, the lack of respect Kemba got, uh, I know it was that one season. So someone's success in the NCAA tournament or the NBA afterwards doesn't apply to the award, but it's just an odd... I, I still... You know, Nick Cronin, the... Uh, saltiness about the recruiting I, you know from the stories it was like Kemba was down to Cincinnati until Calhoun offered him the scholarship and so you know I guess being uh, having ill will toward a player um, happens but it's still it's still just amazing to me how, how that transpired and in a weird way maybe it's what those little things, like, not that the award in itself is meaningless, but um, the team accomplishment overrides that. Maybe that's a little bit of an extra push that they needed as well to have um, Kemba have 28 points. Because really, other than that, that game was Lamb with 11 and Jamal Coons McDaniel with 12 up off the bench. And Georgetown, um, like you said, they were a decent team. Austin Freeman, Jason Clark played well that game. But this was kind of the uh, probably locker room moment where I would have loved to hear what happened after with the dynamic of the team if it really was bulletin board material to kind of rally around and be like, well, our best player's not getting the love he deserves and the accolades he's earned. Um, so let's kind of um, you know speak with the scoreboard and let our play... Uh, you know, force people to recognize us because we're going to accomplish it all. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Jim Calhoun gave a hell of a quote after this. He was asked, you know, about Kemba not, you know, not having somebody left off the ballot, basically. And he says, I think someone took a vacation and didn't tell us and has been gone for five months. That's one theory <laughs> of mine. Whether we have the best, wh- whether we have the player of the year or not, I think he's the best player in the country and that should be more important. Guess what? Uh, that is a good take. That's a correct take. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. Kemba, here we he's asked, uh, you know, he's you quoted after the game, kind of calling his shot. We're coming to play it all. Right now we're in a great situation. Pittsburgh beat us at Pittsburgh, and we want to redeem ourselves. So we're not going to let no fatigue beat us. That was another thing, another kind of storyline throughout the week is the fatigue. You know, you play two, you know, UConn wasn't particularly challenged by either of these teams, but you just play two games in two days, and here comes Pitt. Uh, Pitt has a double bye. They are fresh. They have not played at this point in uh, probably close to a week at this point. And they had, frankly, kind of had UConn's number earlier in the season. So um, I, I just remember the feeling of just being like, man, like, don't let UConn win this game or it's or it's going to be trouble. Like, that was definitely, like, by now, we're, we've shaken off the end of the regular season and now we're imagining some possibilities. So, um... You know, we obviously did an entire podcast on the pick game, but do you recall just, you know, how you felt going into the last game? And obviously by this point, you know, you and I, you know, we'd been back and forth from your house to, to, to New York a couple of times on that train. So I, 
I don't know. Just what are what do you what do you remember about that uh, kind of heading into pit? Well, the pit, yeah, like you said, the train ride. Um, the it, it the third day, it's like I kind of knew not that I had the wits to work on Wall Street, but I kind of knew I wasn't going to be doing a commute to New York City. Um, you know, from uh, Union Station, New Haven after college, because three days uh, just to get there for noon tips uh, felt uh, draining. But there is, the, and I know Jim Beheim was a big, um, you know, he hated the double buy, but it is the freshness of a team versus, um, you know, a team on a roll who's won a couple games. I, I guess that kind of depends on the matchup, but there was a weird sort of confidence um, because UConn had been on the other side of it, you know, especially not just the six overtime loss, but they did, they had lost in the quarterfinals before, and there were other examples of the teams who were, you know, the top um, seed having the double bye and not winning that first game. So, I can't say I was, you know, going to uh, confidently say UConn was going to beat Pitt because, like you said, Pitt had been kind of the um, Achilles heel to UConn in a weird way over the years. But uh, there was the level of, okay, UConn's been in this uh, moment and uh, arena for three days now. Pitt just getting in, um, they could maybe be ripe for the picking. Yeah, yeah, and it was a good game. Just, uh, you know, and I think what we, as we discussed in our podcast last year, you know, Kemba was not really that great in this game. Like, he obviously, he had the incredible shot at the end, but he had to work for it, and, you know, he he missed a bunch of shots before he hit that last one. So it, it was some, it was like something to behold. Like, I'll never forget just watching that situation unfold, and you know, I've seen the replay often enough that that's like in a weird way become my memory of it. But like, you know, yeah. you and I, we were, we're up in the uh, the auxiliary press box where they stuck us for the rest of the week. And I guess we were at least the opposite angle. So like everybody's used to seeing Kemba on the left and, uh, you know, the pit guys defending on the right. And, you know, for us, it was from the other vantage point. But I just yeah. remember, you know, that, you know, he has the ball kind of, you know, kind of kind of making his way over to the center of the court, you know, does the dribble move. You know, uh, McGee switches on to him and then, yeah, just, you know, the, the step back move. I mean, it's, that's an, I mean, Kem, how many guys have like an iconic shot that they're known for? Like the Kempa step back is a thing and he does yeah. it like in the pros, like, you know, people who watch the Celtics as, as you well know, I mean, he, he hits, that's like his signature move. He hits people with it all the time. And I, I just do remember watching that happen and like, you know, your brain almost breaks. You're like, Oh my God, what did I just see? <laughs> become his move you know with charlotte and the celtics in his nba years you know looking in the for ray allen's shot 96 over georgetown you know ray allen made that acrobatic um shot in the lane it's not like he was doing that move in the nba you know it's not ray allen didn't hit a three-pointer to to uh end georgetown it was um a shot without the uh time dictated and for kemba I just remember, too, because like you said, it being a step back on the switch with McGee, he had an advantage there to, to um, create the space with his uh, speed and quickness. But I think this was the game that the MSG crowd, it was 
the arrival of, again, another noon game, but you had more, maybe more people were going to be taking off work, you know? You had more people coming in from the bigger time teams, and the, the arena was pretty much full. And we were in this sea of humanity, like you said, with the opposite angle, which I agree, we're watching a replay a million times. Unfortunately, that kind of mars your memory of when it actually happened in a way. But having that opposite view, seeing the crowd or being amongst the crowd when Kemba's at the top of the key dribbling it down and the anticipation and excitement building to the you know crescendo of the buzzer beater, it was just a really cool... Um, you know, thing to be amongst the masses for. And it's just, it's awesome because, um, you know, that was, that was something that for college basketball will always be in the buzzer beater montages and the big moments. Um, and it was, uh, you know, midweek, March noon game. Yeah, it was, yeah, it just was unbelievable. And yeah, the crowd, now that you mention it, it was like, it was an interesting like crowd too because yeah you had the Yukon and Pitt people the St. John's Rutgers game was the very next one if my memory serves so there were a lot of people there a lot of people wearing red so it certainly was uh, a pretty nonpartisan crowd and I just remember like this the noise like every like everybody in there is like oh boy something's about to happen and then like you know he makes the shot and you're just like it was just it was just madness like people you know, whether you're UConn fan or not, you knew you just saw something like absolutely special. And um, yeah, man, I, I don't know what to, what else to say about it. It's, you know, so much has been said and written about it. I guess just like it, it was that was the moment for sure where you just knew like, OK, this is we're watching something different here. You know, Kemba says that or excuse me, uh, Jim Calhoun afterwards was asked about the play. And uh, he said, I guess he drew up a, a play in the huddle and was like, all right, Kemba, you got two options for this shot. You got to take it yourself. Or you can kick it to Jamal Coombs McDaniel if you're covered, and uh, I guess uh, that Kemba made that choice very quickly, and Calhoun knew what, knew what it was going to be. And uh, when that shot goes through, you know the quote was, um, "The best player, in my opinion, for his team made another winning shot, a big time shot. There wasn't any doubt in my mind what option it would be when he put the hard dribble down. Kemba has made a ton of big shots. I mean, Calhoun is a way of just just like laying it out there, right? I mean." It's pre- pretty. It's pretty simple. That's pretty much all you have to say. I mean, Kemba has ma- made a ton of big shots, and that was that was the one, right? Yeah, and that's where I mean, Calhoun. You could just tell um, for Kemba, like his love for him, e- even in a press conference where coaches may not, you know, let in everything. But for just from a player pers- uh, standpoint, with Kemba, he did like it. The compl- there wasn't much complications of um, scheme or strategy at that point. It was kind of this is the guy you, you ride with the rest of the way and you want the ball in his hands um, to decide the game, you know, like keep it in his hands and then he'll, he'll make the play or the shot. And at this point, um, it was the shot. And obviously when we get to talk about the championship, it was, um, it was the play too. So with uh, and with that, they were uh, off to um, a date with uh, Syracuse in the semifinal, which um, again that was where, uh, as we'll talk about, um, the team kind of uh, got through another tough one. Kemba against Pitt had to get through a, a grinded out game, and then um, the team had to get through a grinded out game. Yeah, man. Syracuse. 
So we, uh, well, well, before we jump to that, we, uh, last night we, before we, we were talking about like our, our daily campus articles for this week. And because it was, a uh, like school vacation week, there weren't any papers being printed. So the only actual paper was the one on Monday afterwards. So you and Colin have your stories on Louisville, but, uh, I did just uh, dig up my Pittsburgh uh, game notebook uh, from the uh, for that we had on the web. Unfortunately, it's no longer available on the web. So my my word document is apparently the last exa- the last place it lives. Um, I was just was running through it. I have some, there are some really fun quotes here. So um, you know after the after the game was over, just the, the the celebration was epic. You know Jim Calhoun's like jumping around celebration. That's one of his one of his better ones. He's had a few good ones where he like goes crazy and then he composes himself and shakes the opposing team's uh, you know coach's hand. And yeah. uh, I, I'll just read a couple of good ones. So from Jeremy Lamb, I was running around. I just didn't know what to do. I was just like, this is crazy. Except you know Jeremy Lamb, of course, like his when he when I actually said it, it was probably more like I, I was running around and I didn't know what to do. I was just like, this is crazy. <laughs> Fa- yeah, he was running crazily famous that, so. yeah famously not necess- not the most like excited person in general uh kemba says everybody was excited we came into this game as underdogs everybody was saying we was gonna lose everybody stayed with each other and we stayed together and we came out with this victory and my teammates were excited to get this w they all just jumped on me so it was a fun time um we we asked about gary mcgee and he just goes i was gonna go to the basket on him I was going to penetrate and get a layup or get a foul from for my teammates, but he fell, so I was able to get a clean, clean look at the rim, so I took my shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great quote, yeah. He was going to try to take him to the rim and just beat him there, but he's like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, there it is, yeah. And that, and even the Calvin celebration, that is a classic moment, because I, I think the Tate George shot against Clemson, the Rip Hamilton shot against Washington, and then the the end of um, when Iverson, um, you know, isn't able to answer Ray Allen's shot um, and Calhoun had to shake uh, John Thompson's hand. Those are the big three where it was like Calhoun's going nuts and then has to like put on a somber face. But this one, like you said, he was jumping out of his shoes. Kevin Ollie was, I think, laughing and kind of waving him on with, uh, with the um, – you know, game sheet there to get get in the get in line to shake uh, uh, Dixon's hand. So it was that is a, a classic Calhoun moment in itself. Yeah. So one more one more note on Calhoun. So uh, you know we're we're talking about just like this was an eventful week. You know, a lot happened just besides the games. Here's another one. Uh, the uh, um, the sanctions for Jim Calhoun with the I believe it was the Nate Miles uh, uh, recruiting crap uh, were announced this uh, this week. And uh, so in our in our story, we also noted that Jim Calhoun announced he would not be appealing his suspension the, the following year. And uh, so that was pretty much that. So, you know, obviously the, the Nate Miles uh, situation in 2009 was a big uh, cloud that hung over the program. There was a lot of issues. Uh, the, UConn was going through a lot in like the 2009 to 2012, 13 range. So, you know, a lot of uh, those things eventually came to a head and sort of led to UConn being in the state it was for a couple of years in the, the middle of the last decade. But even still, you know, there's a, a lot of good, some bad, but off they go to the semifinals. So, um, yeah, you, yeah. So Collins, uh, subbed in for this one. Uh, this is UConn Syracuse in the biggie semifinal. This was a, I, I think one of the most underrated big games UConn has had, 
Uh, so tell everybody about this game and uh, sort of kind of your your thoughts on this uh, overtime game <laughs> that uh, you know, at this point was the fourth win in four days to set up the final. Yeah, it's definitely underrated just being sandwiched between Pitt and the, the Louisville title, title game. But um, the the crowd was incredibly orange. It was pro-Syracuse. Um, you know, the alumni base, I, I don't know the numbers on it, but obviously it's easy to kind of um, figure that UConn has the advantage over, you know, a team like Mich- Michigan State, which was highlighted in 2014's MSG um percentage of the crowd but yeah it was a pro Syracuse crowd by a lot and um the roar of the orange is a a sound that is not pleasant and Colin and I were up in um the auxiliary press seating and I I remember uh you know it being in the evening it was kind of cool to get down there we got some dinner and um was it was less of a rush um but also more tension and you know uh you know not nervous anxiety but like an excitement because you had to wait the whole day for it um and then with the game itself I mean that's where you had uh you know a a Syracuse team that had been beating UConn in the Big East tournament two years removed from the six overtime game so the expectation was that it was going to be a fun one, and that's where you did have Kemba going for 33 points. Um, you know, and he made his money um, on the free throw line being 13 of 14 that night. But Syracuse, you know, UConn had a chance to put them away at the end. That's where Shabazz missed a free throw. And um, Scoop Jardine makes the, uh, the shot late in the second half to tie it. And um, it goes into overtime, where luckily Syracuse um, went cold, not only from beyond the arc, but at the free throw line. And uh, the cool, I I just remember, because this is another thing with like the vantage point that you mentioned, where um, UConn has the uh, five point lead, which they ended up winning by with a a handful of seconds left. And... uh, the inbounds pass was um, thrown towards center court and Kemba corralled it eventually and then dribbles toward the crowd. Um, and it's almost, it looked almost like one of those, uh, set, you know, final four celebrations where there's an excitement, but it's, you know, a little more tempered because then the final is coming up. So it was definitely a game where, um, at least I think the confidence was um, just growing. And this was a tough Syracuse team. They, they were 26-7 and seven for, um, at that point. They were ranked number 11. Uh, Louisville against number 4 Notre Dame was the other semifinal, which Louisville won it also in overtime by 6. And I remember being in the bells of um, underneath Madison Square Garden, and that was where the five games in five ga- days became a reality. I remember it may have been Kemba or Oriaki being asked where you um, did say the legendary Kellen practice where a few of the players said when the press would ask them, you know, how tough is this? They, they said, well, I'd rather be playing than practice. You know, the, the uh, overall feeling was 
that a Jim Calhoun practice is a lot tougher than a game. And there's more excitement to partake in a Big East tournament game at Madison Square Garden in a full arena than a Jim Calhoun practice, um, especially when he's upset after losing um, in an empty gym. So the players were did not seem to show any signs of fatigue at all. And even I remember Colin was amongst uh, calls in like a separate uh, horde, so to speak, a huddle around Alex Oriaki, and I was somewhere else at the time. And I, he told me, I think it was Dane O'Neill um, who asked uh, Oriaki after this, the Q's game about um, would this affect the NCAA tournament, which was kind of growing in a lot of minds um, on press row at the time, where is it worth it to, you know, tire yourself out for a conference championship when you have an NCAA tournament upcoming? And Oriaki said something to the point of, all I care about is winning the Big East championship right now. And I think that is a really good uh, mindset when you have a chance to beat Syracuse and make a Big East championship, um, you know, the NCAA tournament the next week, it's not even on your mind. And uh, the team was so had such a laser focus at that point where Kemba had a huge game. But, you know, the team, like that's where you had the contributions from Alex Oriaki with 15 and 11. Lamb had 11 points. Um, you had guys like Shabazz didn't have the best game, and he obviously missed a free throw. But you had guys like, you know, Donald Beverly played 18 minutes. Uh, Tyler Olander had seven points and six rebounds off the bench. And, like, just um, Kemba's line as a whole is nuts. Like, yeah. 33 points, uh, 12 rebounds, six, uh, excuse me, five assists, six steals. And. No, I, you know, 13 yeah. for 14 from the line. Like, that's sick. That's <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. I mean, he carried the team that game. But in a weird way, it's like this, even though it's not the biggest box score for the bench guys and the other um, starters, it was still, like you said, like Kemba's carrying but he's not, you know, he's not alone. Like, to win an overtime, they needed some, you know, even just uh, – to kind of be able to get out there for that fifth game. Um, this was almost like a win you almost needed to have on your resume, maybe to exact the uh, demon that was Syracuse for them in the Big East tournament, maybe to get past that six-overtime game from two years prior, which obviously, you know, Kemba was involved in, but not many other guys. Yeah, well... But it was just an awesome win in itself to have Kemba go off and to beat Syracuse no matter semifinal, final, quarterfinal, um, in overtime. And again, the, the crowd was quiet. It, it, there were cheers for UConn, but it was not as loud as, um, you know, had Syracuse uh, took it home. Yeah, so tell me this. Like, you know, UConn had a chance to put it away at the end of regulation and kind of let that slip away. So how were you feeling heading into overtime? Was there any sense of, like, oh, God, here we go again or something like that? Oh, yeah. No, I remember, like, Colin and I, you know, we, uh, uh, being twin brothers, obviously, um, you know, sometimes you don't have to say anything at all to each other to get a point across, and I remember looking at each other, and we weren't alone up in that auxiliary seating, there were obviously other people, but um, I remember looking at each other, like, um, you know, disappointed in uh, letting the game get into overtime, 
And then the way Syracuse, especially Jardine, was hot from three, um, it, it did have the... Because Colin and I were actually at the six-overtime game as fans two years prior, so like, uh, our seats were a little bit bad for this one. Um, but it was it was a little bit of deja vu where you know, UConn uh, might be letting it slip away here and it's not going to be the uh, best train ride home uh, late. And, and then once overtime started, though, like I said, it was like Syracuse got to the, it, it, it was sort of a short, not total free throw shooting contest. But, um, you know, Syracuse went cold, which is obviously always welcome because the way they, they closed out the second half, it, it did not look like UConn was going to be able to, um, you know, close that game out in overtime with letting it slip away it definitely it definitely was a relief that's for sure so um the final against louisville uh louisville obviously a team who you kind of you know played a lot of tough games against they were certainly a formidable opponent um how do you what how did you feel going into this game now because it's it feels like there had to be some sense of like oh they have to win it now right like am i am i'm not the only one who was of that mindset right no yeah and that's where in a weird uh, 2014, um, them losing the AAC, obviously they went on to win the championship. But at the time, both 1999 and 2004, um, even though they had won, you know, Big East tournament championships other years, like they won in 98, you know, 96, 90, 2002, and it didn't lead to national championships. The only two years they had won the national championship in 1999 and 2004, they, they won the Big East tournament those years. So there was, at that point, them being finally in that game, it, it was almost a weird, okay, well, if they win this game, they could maybe go on to win the whole thing while also thinking if they have a shot at it all, they need to win the Big East tournament. Beyond that, though, they hadn't won the Big East championship since 2004. So it was a long while, you know, we talked about them not winning games in the tournament, but... You know, aside from their 06 regular season title, they weren't kings of the, of the Big East for, you know, a good chunk of time. So being back in that um, moment, in that stage, it was, um, there were there was more confidence, I think, maybe playing Louisville than Notre Dame um, in, a, in a way. But there was, you know, this is kind of, it's time now, you know. They've, they've done the four wins in four days. You know, you're here. Uh, why not go for five? And, it, and it, the crowd went from a pro-Syracuse crowd to a very much pro-UConn crowd. Um, whether fans, you know, sold their tickets, uh, left town of the losing teams, or maybe more UConn people, um, you know, were uh, available, obviously, with the shorter trip. But... Uh, it, it was packed with uh, navy blue, and um, that was kind of the, the, the build-up to the game where it felt as big of a game as I had been to for, for basketball up until that moment. And it was close, too. Like, they, the UConn had to win it late, and, uh, you know, they did. There's some fav- – you know, I think it, the, the pit – you know, the shot against pit is obviously the iconic play from the Big East tournament – but if there's a second one, I think it would have to be that play where Kemba drives to the hoop and then he dishes that pass to Lamb, who goes up for the dunk. And like it was a, just a really crazy, like, you know, just 
the vision on that play just to to hit Lamb there. And that was, you know, that was obviously one of the plays that kind of helped them seal it at the end. And, um, you know, just the way they were able to, to you know, hang in there. They're tired at this point. I think Kemba even said afterwards, he admitted, it's like, guys, I'm exhausted. Like this is, this was crazy. Um, you know, you're, well, I, I didn't have the benefit of seeing this game play out live, which is honestly one of my biggest regrets as a UConn fan. So tell me, just tell me about your experience being in Madison square garden for the final minutes of this game. And that's what, I mean, it was awesome because growing up, um, as a Connecticut native watching the Big East championship game on the Saturday in March, the late 9 p.m. tip, it was just the lighting was everything I imagined it to be. The aura, um, the glow of the core, kind of the uh, the noise of the crowd. It was just really hard to articulate how awesome um, growing up with the Big East Championship really meaning so- something. And that goes back to what you said with the conference tournaments, how they're viewed. You know, some teams view the conference tournament as the stepping stone to the NCAAs. Let's win a game, but let's not get carried away and let's worry about the NCAAs. This felt just, you know, the NCAA was nowhere in anyone's minds really at that point. And uh, the the final minutes, and re-watching it is awesome because, like, the roar of the crowds, uh, it being pro-UConn too, I think it, it's just a moment where when you have a crowd like that and it lets it out a roar, especially, you know, with the miss three at the end, um, it's not only, like, a fatigue-filled moment, but it's also like a big exaltation of just finally seven years winning it all, getting to this point where we didn't know at the time how the Big East would would change. But it's just a really good uh, sort of, and it's it's really hard to kind of put into words um, memory with being there for a UConn Big East tournament, being a student, growing up with it, being a huge part of your spring routine. And that's the, the Jim Calhoun said it really well. Like after the game, um, he did say how, uh, you know, it's has been as moving for me as anything I can possibly think of when he was asked about the week. And like you said, with the off the court stuff, there was the things going on privately that were draining on him. And the week as draining as it was, it was just, it was beautiful. Because even um, where uh, I know, like, the Patino-Calhoun dynamic of the game, Louisville as the uh, newcomer to the Big East, in, in that, uh, in, uh, comparatively speaking, it was a great game in itself, but just from a UConn perspective and being able to be there, I, I really can't put it into words. And that pass was the play. Like, the the night before, you had um, UConn up 72-71, and Lamb hit the floater um, to go up three with 25 seconds, and then Shabazz misses the free throw, and Syracuse tied it. So you had Lamb taking a big shot late in the game the night before, which 
was um, for even though it was Kemba's game, he had taken that shot um, and made it. So with the next night, you're down 64-63, and Kemba's driving the right side of the lane and drawing the defenders in traffic, almost going doing an up and down. He's able to dish it to Lamb on the low left block, and he makes the layup um, to put them up one with 33 seconds left. Like That defining play is just symbolic, I think, of... I know I mentioned this uh, in a previous podcast. That play is what I carry from that game and beyond because it, it gave um, teams, we can't key on Kemba. And then the uh, symbolic part of it was the rest of the team can do this. And like to win a championship, you need, you can't just have the one, one guy. Um, you know, for all the uh, shots Kemba you know, hit that year. One of his best plays was a pass, and and that was just a, what playmakers do. And he hit Lamb, and, and Lamb came through. And then you had Shabazz making, uh, you had Shabazz making the free throws to go up three after Mara uh, tried to miss or tried to make the first one. He misses the first free throw, and then has to miss the second free throw um, to. Uh, you know, get Louisville a chance and he accidentally makes it. So then Shabazz is at the line and then you have the um, three seconds where Louisville gets the ball down the court and they miss the three and then it's just an explosion and an eruption that, like, the the audio on the video feed of the game just doesn't do it do it justice how loud it was. Yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. So your brother, uh, in his game story afterwards, he has Calhoun also quoted as saying, I think we're leaving feeling different about ourselves. They should, knowing the history of college basketball, as I've told all, as I've told, excuse me, as I've been told all day, it kind of gave you a feeling that it wouldn't happen, but it did happen. Like, you know, in five days, they totally rewrote their story. You know, they came in basically like, you know, on the ropes. And now here you are just coming off of a historic, just an epic run in college basketball history. It's not an exaggeration to say this is like one of the most awesome things in college basketball like ever just you know putting aside like you know regular season conference tournaments ncaa tournaments like this is among the best championship runs ever and it's still thought of that way and in the moment you knew it like you're like we just saw something just absolutely special and you know in the big east tournament like nobody can ever win five in five days anymore like the way the tournament's set up now it would be a, a four in four days i guess technically it could happen in the acc but you know who cares? Like, you know, if Syracuse decided they wanted to go win five games in five days and whatever the Greensboro Coliseum, I mean, good for them, but it will, it will never matter as much as what UConn was able to do here. So, no, man, and then, you know, the, the players are, were able to put it in towards much better than I just did. Cause even you mentioned the emotions behind the moment, um, you had, uh, I know I looking back at some of those stories too, um, in the old daily campuses, you had Kemba, to, you know, they had the, our pick of the day for that Monday was Kemba embracing his mother with the caption, a proud mother. That was and, awesome. I saw and, that. Yesterday, yeah. I saw that yesterday too. I was like, Oh man, what a shot. <laughs> and in one of the stories he's quoted, um, cause someone asked, you know, what did you tell your mother? And he said, I told her I love her, um, her and my father, because a lot of people are not for, fortunate to have, both of their parents, um, and I am, and then you had Calhoun saying, um, 
people in Connecticut have fallen in love in love with this team. It's a special group. Um, like the, it's like having a five game and five day experience with a team. Um, it, it's it's like you 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 learn a lot about each other as a fan to a team or as a person covering the team to to the team. You you, you knew um, things you didn't at the start of the week, you know, and that's where. Uh, you had kind of even just from a Kemba perspective, another cool uh, factoid in the story was that Patino was yelling at the refs after a foul that he's not Michael Jordan, and we couldn't hear that, but I'm sure someone closer to the action was who asked that question. And then um, Kemba just said, you know, this is what I worked for the whole summer. Obviously, you know, Michael Jordan drafted him, and he, he wears his sneakers, um, but he said... Uh, this is what I my whole team worked for, and the hard work is finally paying off. I'm not Michael Jordan. I'm Kemba Walker. What that a quote! Week, <laughs> what a yeah. what a what a mic drop that is. Yeah, because Maui was one thing, but this was like you said, it's it wasn't Greensboro or or DC um, or you know Barclays. No disrespect to those venues, um, but this was Madison Square Garden in March, and uh, you could kind of tell maybe. You know, and I, I do like looking back at the Daily Campus jacket, uh, cover jacket that you made with one side was both the men and women winning the Big East Championship. And then we had, the headline was awesome. It was Buck the Bison um, for the Bucknell uh, NCAA tournament, which was a few days after that uh, Monday edition came into print. But it was like, okay, it's time to go. Um, but that Saturday night, it was like uh, frozen in time. And talking about Calhoun's celebrations, I remember you could see it clearly if you rewatch the game, like Donnell Beverly running to Calhoun. Like the team was mobbing everyone at, at midcourt, and like Beverly and Calhoun had a pretty like strong embrace for as much as Calhoun would embrace a player on camera back then, it seemed. Yeah. And that was really cool to see. Like, it meant so much more than just a conference championship. Um, not that it would eclipse the national championship in name or um, level of accomplishment, but I, you know, I would love to kind of know from uh, ten years later where where it kind of resides. Um, are they neck and neck? You know, in a player's mind or a coach's mind, or uh, you know, does this kind of five days and five five games in five days? stand by itself as a separate um thing from you know the rest of the run just because every year this week it's going to be mentioned well i'll tell you i'll tell you this i i can't speak for them obviously but i would imagine it's a a really awesome chapter of just a really awesome story so it just standing by itself is it's historic and incredible and just as a you know one part of a larger whole like the 2010-11 season was just was nuts we, we were so blessed to be a part of it and we were you know blessed to be able to have a peek behind the scenes like you know you and i obviously had a chance to you know have those little conversations with some players parents at the airport or you know on the loading dock out back you know it was, it was a good group of people and you know they it was really great to see them enjoy the success they had and as we've learned in the years since you know moments and seasons like this are not guaranteed and I think that one of the reasons why people are so stoked about this year is it's like one of the first times really since then we have that inkling that maybe just maybe we might get a taste of it again. So, um, 
Man, I don't know. I guess uh, like I feel like this is probably a good place to leave it. But you know, Matt, you do you have any other thoughts just on this week and just you know kind of what it meant to just to be, you know, a small part of the story? Well, I think the week and and that's where I do have trouble putting it into words because even though ten years later, um, it's just still so cool to think back on. But moving forward, I do think the um you know the office like good old days quote of like i wish we were new i wish we knew we were in the good old days before we actually left them as a fan base that's you know we did unfortunately the last decade not we were not able to have the good old days around you know we we did leave them the year after where the big east was not a possibility um anymore uh, there were no i remember in college thinking like, Hey, whatever job I have, I'm going to have to try to get off work uh, this week to sneak down to New York city. And there were no moments like that after graduation because the, you know, the team was banned and then they were in the AAC. Um, and as cool as it was in 2016, like it was in Orlando in an empty arena. So moving forward, I think that's where the optimism lies that like something like this, maybe not five games in five days, but something like this, is possible not only what you know with this year's team which i'm confident in uh that they could win the whole um big east tournament but also in general as a yearly thing where when it's back to as normal as it can be hopefully next year the pilgrimage down on metro north to madison square garden um will be back to being possible um well metro north doesn't go directly to the station there but you know what i'm saying as we learned with a number of very uh very long cold walks a couple it's it's not that far it's only a couple blocks but still yeah like it's it's a nice walk through um you know to kind of get get into the new york city uh mode you know get your pace up on the sidewalk and be be ready to um you know have uh the uh speed of new york you know it hits you in the face and then you have to roll with it. But yeah. That's where, I, I that's have where some, I'm, sorry to interrupt. I have some great memories just of just being in New York too. Cause obviously I'm, I'm a Boston guy, so I don't get, that's, you know, get down to the city that often. So it was fun. Just like going to times square with you guys. We went to Bubba yeah. Gump shrimp. I remember, I think it was yeah, after this, yeah. I think it was after the pit game and we're just like, yo dude, for real though. Can you believe what just happened? <laughs> like, no. And we went to the empire state building. Like we did. Yeah, cool, dude, that was sick. The cool things. Like, and that was cool. Cause I, even I've been to New York so much after college, but even growing up um, close to a train station in Connecticut, like my dad's from Boston, we we didn't really we went to New York for um, you know baseball games and uh, we did some touristy stuff, but it wasn't a place that we'd go often, um, and it was cool to just kind of walk around and be part of it during Big East Week, and that's what the excitement for years to come will be i mean obviously you'll have a little husky pup of your own um, yeah by the way is it is it yeah is it bad that i'm already scheming how i'm gonna somehow make a figure out a way to get to the 2022 big east tournament and you know leave uh the eight month old with my wife (laughs) Uh, maybe it's it wasn't bad i think until you said it on the podcast because if she listens you might uh not have the uh the excuse uh, dialed up, ready to go. But well, no, it's a great well, point. Let me let me no. just be clear that I'm not being subtle about this desire. So her listening to the podcast would not be like, "Oh, you're planning on doing what?" No, she knows. She she knows what <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, well, and be, I and I know that it's not going to happen because that is 
a ridiculous thing, but still, it's... But the, but it, it will eventually. You know, like, that's where it's... Being back in the Big East, the people who graduated from UConn, you know, in 1990 had 20 years as alums to to try to get to it. And we haven't had any years where we, we were able to. So, like, as a UConn grad, there is a level of, of it that seems like we were robbed of um, the uh, alumni, you know, in our 20s going to see UConn play whoever in the Big East tournament. And now because of this pandemic, we're back and we still can't go, which is it's oh, yeah. just no, unbelievable. Yeah. Not, like, yeah, that's not to equate any thing with the pandemic just in the years between um but i'm glad that you know the season was able to be played um you know i hope the there weren't even if we couldn't see them or hear about them i hope there, there were minimal repercussions with with the season being played um but watching you know this team i i can't say i've watched them as closely like i have missed a lot of chunks of games, but seeing them um, more the last couple of weeks, it does look like this would have been an awesome team to be able to go down and watch in person at Madison Square Garden because the the wave they're riding right now, um, you know, it seems like they they have a really good shot at, at uh, making a, a really special moment, and that's where you know that's where the magic happens in March, where the te- a team could could hit some road bombs. And 2011 showed, like, if you're playing your best basketball at the most, um, you know, important times, most opportune times, you're able to take advantage of it and uh, really do something like Calhoun and Kemba kept saying that's special. And uh, hopefully, whether um, Christina lets you get down uh, sooner than later, we have the the moments with the, the, the UConn um, teams of the future. Um, you know, like 2011, uh, where they're gonna they're winning a, a Big East championship in a packed arena, and we're able to, you know, let out all our energy and, and cheer them on, and uh, you know, have have that for years to come. I'm looking forward to it, whether it's in 2022 or some other time down the road. I all I just I just want to get together, you know, you and Colin. We'll get Tim. We'll get some of the other daily campus people. You know, meet up with some of the other UConn Twitter crazies we've gotten to know over the last year or two or however long. You know, uh, you know, Mister Hotballs, Penfield. You know, all these all these guys who are just who have helped make the experience you know that much more fun online. We'll all get together at one of the bars. We'll all just crush a bunch of hot sauce and just be all rowdy and have a good time. It's been too long. It's you know we yeah. we've we've missed out on it, the last like decade has just been just such a bummer so it is oh, yeah. great to have something to look forward to again and just the idea that you know what 2011 was an all-time amazing experience but it doesn't have to be the only one there could be great tournament runs like it in the years to come and who knows maybe the first one will be this week maybe it'll be next year maybe the who knows maybe we, we, we could be on the cusp of something like an epic run or not, we'll, but the the possibility is there, and that's it's been a, it's been way too long since we even had the, you know, a glimmer of hope. So, yeah, why don't we leave it there, uh, dude? That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for you know coming back on, and uh, you know, just God, I feel all nostalgic right now. <laughs> no, no, this was difficult for me in a weird way, like trying to say my thoughts about the week because, um, again, like I said, it is melancholy, but it, uh, bright skies ahead. Um, 
hopefully in a lot of ways. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for um, hopefully a time as soon and as safely as possible for us to be able to, you know, whether it's hot sauce or adult beverages, being able to, uh, you know, partake in, in libations and then go uh, watch UConn in person. And, uh, you know, it's it doesn't have to be – 2011 doesn't have to be a, a moment we look back on every year because uh, hopefully we'll be living uh, – new ones absolutely well said my friend well you know what we'll leave it there uh you guys all you guys are the best thanks so much again for listening you know this is this past year has this podcast has really been a bright spot of what's otherwise been a you know a pretty tough year for for me for i'm sure as it has been for all of you just with everything that's been going on and all the uncertainty so thank you so much you know it really means a lot again you know we're this is episode 50 and uh you know if all goes well hopefully we'll be keeping at this for you know for plenty of time to come so um yeah so as far as the rest of this month goes uh we will be back again this week we will do a second pod to preview this year's big east tournament um and uh try to have that drop on you know before the games start obviously and then you know we're gonna just see how things go you know we'll have the big east tournament to talk about after next week you know we'll have uh you know, the NCAA tournament at this point, it's looking like it's probably going to happen. So you'll have that to talk about and who knows what the future could hold after that. So it's going to be an interesting month. Uh, you know, it's been so much fun kind of enjoying this ride with you all and uh, looking forward to what's to come. So you all know the drill. You follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. My DMs are open and you can follow, uh, you can email me also at yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, just leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out on those search algorithms. And uh, got to say, you know, you search, yes, you, if you search UConn, uh, this podcast, Yes, UConn is one of the top results. And that's because of you. And I really, you know, that really means a lot. So, anyway, we'll leave it there. You guys all have a good one. And uh, go Huskies.